3: Hello, welcome to episode 22 of the Thistle Rugby Podcast, the only rugby podcast that cares about Scottish rugby. How are you guys doing? It is a Wednesday evening and I have chosen two of Scottish rugby's finest prospects for our Lions special edition. I'm here with Matt. Hi guys, how are we doing? And Alan. Hello. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, You're probably listening to us on iTunes or via the ACAST podcast app. And uh, the last few days have been incredibly busy uh, chewing over the Lions stuff um, on our Twitter at... Thistle Rugby Pods. We're going to get into that. Um, Obviously, the Lions selection um, is going to be a big part of our episode today, as well as an interview with Scotland and Edinburgh rugby legend, uh, Phil Godman, who's got some really great insight for you guys, particularly Edinburgh rugby fans on the future of the club. But as always, before we get into that, why don't we have a look back very quickly at some of the news from the Scottish rugby world this week. And it is with much delight that we announce that um, Big Brian, 21, 22, 23-year-old Brian now, he's aging so fast, has signed a two-year contract with uh, Glasgow.
2: Yeah, absolutely brilliant news. Um, On the age thing, can they not somehow find out what his age is by, I don't know, like DNA testing or something? Because he ain't got a birth certificate. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I
0: mean, look, he is 24, and that's it. All right, and in two years' time, he's gonna run out for Scotland, and he's gonna have a glorious sort of six, seven-year career. I feel.
3: Yeah, I feel good about, it. and he's uh, reuniting with his old Waikato um, coach Dave Rennie when he comes over to Glasgow um, this summer, which is good news for everyone.
2: Yeah, in, I mean, in all seriousness, since he's
3: been there, he's been played really, really well.
2: Like, particularly in the Glasgow game that we went, uh, the Sarasen game, sorry, went and watched. Um, he was one of the few to cope with the physicality and for such a young guy I mean it's absolutely (laughs) amazing but no I I think that he was here on a bit of a trial contract um, and obviously he's shown them enough to get an extension so I think it's a a really good signing yeah no definitely I'm sure Rennie's got sort of a say in the matter I mean he's been there since Brian
0: broke into the Waikato team at 14 so (laughs) he's he, he knows he's seen how he's progressed
3: I was reading about him. He's 130 kilos. He's absolutely massive, and for such a young guy, you know, how, what's he gonna what's he gonna do next? Um, keeping it in the boiler house down the other side of the uh, the M8. Um, Grant Gilchrist has signed a two-year extension at Edinburgh. Do you think he is the sort of player that can be um, a long-term part of um, Richard Cockrell's squad at Edinburgh?
0: Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's gonna be. I guess because he signed a new deal <laughs> um look uh, he was Scotland captain uh, i mean he he actually uh, he wore he was ahead of the Greys and he was Scotland captain and whilst I have never personally really seen why. <laughs> there obviously is and so you know hopefully he's he's someone who's had like a a really bad run with injuries and I think hopefully sort of if he gets like a good pre-season under his belt Cockrell probably will suit his game uh slightly and you know hopefully he'll come through
2: yeah I mean do you remember the time when there was Chad Toulon signing him I mean that just seems absolutely bizarre compared to they could have potentially signed someone like Johnny Gray um, now, I, I kind of agree that I've never quite got the hype around him, um, but he's had a lot of caps for, for Edinburgh, and I think that experience is actually very important in terms of building the team. Um, and, you know, for Vern Cotter, who we've talked about as like being a really good coach, and for him to identify him as a, a Scotland captain at such a young age, he must have seen something um, that we're, we're potentially not seeing. So, no, I think it is really good news. I think keeping the internationals at Edinburgh um is a, is a good thing and um I don't know if he'll be captain next year but hopefully he can sort of be one of the, the sort of the main foundations for a bit of success at least next year
3: yeah so we'll keep an eye on any further signings from the two pro clubs but dropping down to uh to Prem 1 it was the big finale down at uh at Green Yards in Melrose at the weekend and Air went down there and um took home the title what do you reckon to that Matt? Yeah, well, I think it was a, a fair reflection
2: of the season. Um, that Air Melrose have just dominated that league. Um, the two sides are really packed full of high quality players. They recruit extremely well, and even if you look at their bench, it's it's full of, of really good players. Um, it seems as if the final um, was was a pretty tight, um, really physical affair. Air just sort of scraped it. I think it was twelve eight in the end. Four four penalties from Fraser Klimo, who just at that level is just one of the best players consistently. Um, and it, I think it was a pretty good advert really I think it was a, it was a good crowd at the green yards um, you know pretty pretty high quality physical game um, and then the thing is they're they're meeting again this weekend in the BT Cup final so it'd be interesting to sort of see the matchups um, and, and just sort of see the dynamics of that of that match seeing as they've <laughs> literally just played each other a week before but um, I think it's a pretty good sign that the, the club club games in pretty pretty rude health.
3: Yeah, it seems uh, seems great. Um, Right, so then we have a look just before we get into lines. So we have a quick look back at last weekend and talk about um, the games as the Scottish teams took on the behemoths of Italian rugby, Treviso and Zebra. Let's start at the low part. What about Edinburgh losing to Treviso? Alan, can you put some positivity on this one for me? I was about to come in real negative. (laughs) I actually
0: don't care that we lost. I don't care there was bad performance. What I care about is we didn't even score a try. Mm-hmm. We must literally be, that must be, I generally think, I'm going to actually look into this. I don't think I, there's ever been another Pro
3: 12 team that hasn't scored a try against the Italian teams. Um I don't know if that's true but um Jamie Lyle the uh, BBC Scotland correspondent was down there um unfortunately and he said that uh, Treviso have conceded 86 tries this season. Um and Edinburgh didn't even really look like scoring one. So I mean, Matt, is this is this the the new low? I think we've talked about lows for Edinburgh before, but is this is this rock bottom? It it must be. I mean,
2: I think that's both the Italian pro teams that they've lost to this season. Zebre at home and Treviso away. Um, it's just it's just truly dire. It's not good enough. Um, I think that even, you look at the Edinburgh team going and it wasn't that good but on paper, but it's still good enough to beat a Treviso side that looks like a pub team in a lot of the matches this <laughs> season. It, it's genuinely, I, I'm gutted that we've lost obviously, but at the same time, I kind of hope that it's going to be the real kick up the backside that both Edinburgh as a club and the SRU need to properly make some some changes and put some money into that club. Um, it seems like signing news has been completely you know thin on the ground, so they need to do something,
3: because if they keep the same team as that next year, it's going to be more of the same, I think. But, but do you guys think that there is at least the suggestion of a decent spine to that team? And when we've talked about... I mean, if you look in your pack, if you get Nell and Dickinson fit, again, you've got two Scotland, like, impactful Scotland props there. In the second row, you've got players like Gilchrist and our old friend Ben Toulis, who are pretty decent jobbing pros in the Pro 12. And in that back row, you look at guys like Magnus Bradbury coming through. You've got John Hardy. You've got Hamish Watson. Like, that has the makings of a decent pack. Do you think Cockrell's got a chance of sort of whipping that into shape?
0: Yeah, I think... There is a spine there, but I feel like this this team just lacks so much confidence. Um, you can sort of see it on the pitch with sort of the way with the way they play, and I I almost think this could be a sort of good thing. So if Edinburgh were to lose the last two games sort of against the Dragons in Glasgow, uh, they're all, they will definitely be in the bottom two um, because actually Zebra and Treviso play on the last uh, weekend. And it's it's almost a good thing for Cockrell because if they've had sort of a mini little resurgence at the end, it's kind of it um, makes it a bit harder to really come in and just properly sort of clean out and stamp his authority on it. But as, as what's happened at the end of the season in terms of sort of what appears to be sort of a complete collapse, he can sort of come in and
2: really just come in, hopefully just come in real fresh. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's quite a, there's just a, the the culture there has been pretty poor for a few years. Um, and I actually think that a lot of those players are a bit entitled. Um, we've had quite a, an interesting message from one of our followers on Twitter this week, um, which seems to maybe suggest that's the case, saying that, um, when Solomons was still coach, he was berating Hidalgo Klein in the in the changing room. And fair enough, you're going to get a bit of sort of fireworks and that kind of thing, but it sounds as if Hidalgo Klein sort of went back at him. They had a slanging match and it resulted in a sort of player revolt, which I think led to Solomon's um, eventual sacking. Um, And according to the same source, it sounds as if a similar thing has happened this year with Duncan Hodge. Um, And it seems as if with the results that Edinburgh are having, sort of having a go at the coach maybe isn't fair enough. But I suppose it just suggests that all is not well at that club at all.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that gives us a little bit of insight into um, Sam Hidalgo-Klein's absolutely sort of uh, disastrous form over the last sort of year, which has really seen him go from really pushing Greg Layla for that number nine jersey to now really falling behind Ali Price and uh, Henry Pergos as a replacement. Yeah, I think Hidalgo Klein's
0: kind of probably the best example of someone that, I mean, I remember how excited we were sort of three years ago. He sort of came on the scene. He was playing against Wales. He's got so much just sort of natural talent and um, I guess he's taken a bit of a henson. So, sort of, you know, yeah, like he, he, his form sort of dropped dramatically. And, um, you know, the, the hope is, is that someone like Cockrell can come in and sort of really sort of utilise that effectively because he, he could – be a, he could be a good player. He could be him and Price could be sort of the two Scottish scrum halves for the next sort of five six years. Yeah, I mean on his
3: on his uh, his talent is far better than um, than Kennedy at scrum half for Edinburgh. So I mean, w- you have really got to hope that some where is the old Sam Hidalgo claim. Let's hope Richard Cockerel can find him. Slightly more upbeat news: um, Glasgow absolutely thumped um, Zebra on Friday night. Glasgow's kids essentially. It was a really, really top performance, actually, and um, really impressive performances from uh, Matt Fagerson at number eight, who, for an 18-year-old, is a joke. He's eating whatever Brian's been eating since he was, like, 12. (laughs) He is absolutely fucking massive, and he just looks like he is the sort of player, much like his elder brother, who is just going to fit into pro rugby and um, could be somebody that we see in the Scotland team in the next couple of years. Uh, another awesome performance from the little monster, um, Nick Greg. Like absolutely incredible. Like he's not the not the biggest guy, but low center of gravity, and what he does is he just attacks the line like so hard. He hits a, hits a line. He scored one great great try, um, just getting a sort of half tackle from uh, I don't know who the fuck it was for Zebra. They don't. I don't actually. I don't actually know any of their players. But who cares exactly? Um, but he got a great got a great line and. Um, it it really, really was a great performance, even though Zebra are crap, but you know, this is a, a Glasgow team with probably an average age of early twenties, like twenty four, twenty four, twenty-five, and it just shows complete night and day with where Edinburgh are in the I reckon that that young Glasgow team would easily give the Edinburgh side that were out against Treviso a run.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I know if the Lions tells us anything, you can basically base all your decisions on one game. So exactly. Matt Ferguson exactly. should go on the Scotland rugby tour to Australia after that. Yeah, I mean I was thinking Lions Bolter actually after <laughs> <laughs> after a big game, you know? Yeah. Uh but no, I agree. I think um sort of Matt Ferguson definitely sort of came out in the came out? Uh yes, <laughs> <laughs> sorry Matt. <laughs> um really sort of stepped up in the sort of Six Nations and I think sort of, yeah, a couple of young players, uh, Matt Smith as well, George, Matt, he was on the bench, George Holmes was in the bench, Lewis Wynn was on the bench, a lot of like really, really good young players um, really sort of stepping up for Glasgow. And also Chris fasaro came back and um, looked pretty sharp, a man who looks like he's, since sort of that 2015 pro 12 final which i'm pretty sure he started um he's kind of well since that season he's sort of kind of lost it a bit he was he was really talked about as possibly being sort of the scotland seven and then obviously once john hardy and hamish watson have sort of gone past him but he sort of looked really sort of sharp took took someone on the outside which is something i think i've literally never seen him do so no good to see
3: yeah i thought it was awesome and just an- another quick one i mean i think the the young props, Alex Allen and Darcy Ray, like they gave the Zebra boys an absolute doing all day. And you think that's one thing. If an Italian team's going to turn up, they're probably going to have a big and fairly sort of muscular pack. But Glasgow had complete dominance um, across the field. And I think, um, going back to a bit of a fanboy moment on Nick Grigg, I think with you know Mark Bennett having ACL reconstruction, Hugh Jones um, getting his hamstring set up, I think you've got to take Nick Grigg on the on the Scotland summer tour and give him a run. And it's just, it's great to see more depth coming through in that in that uh, centre position. I tell you, he's a really big lad. It's Rory Hughes. Yeah, he's a
0: big boy.
2: You're not that excited about him. <laughs> I think that's all he is. I think I think that's why he got, he was a classic example of a lad who just developed quicker than everyone. And that's why he got selected. I've not been that impressed with him. He's quite a good athlete, but he's not like a, He's not an absolute beast and he doesn't have much in the way of guile. I, I'm not a big
3: fan. Sorry. Because you're a weak little shit, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely done. Sorry about that, Matt. The jury has spoken on that one, unfortunately. Power to weight ratio and skill level. I'll, t- I'll take him on any day. All right. Well, let's set that up. That sounds like quite a good, um, quite a good little event. But uh, obviously, it, I, I just think it's great. Edinburgh going down Glasgow uh, even when their season's pretty much done, giving the young lads uh, a run out and coming back with um, five points. Right, so we get into the, the meat of the day, which is obviously going to be the uh, the Lions, but um, if just before we get into that, let's give it just a little bit of a plug for ourselves. If you enjoy what we're doing, Um, Please get onto iTunes, leave us a a quick review, five stars, if you're enjoying us, just like uh, our good friend Ali Price's pristine haircut did uh, this week, um, who said, in a world of hot air, I'm looking at you, Stephen Jones, and anger. The boys create a podcast for the fans, an informative and humorous, humorous listen. It's reminiscent of some stellar pub chat with your mates. Even if it generally sounds like Alan isn't listening to what's going on... It is still, by far and away, the only Scottish rugby pod worthy of a listen. Alan, you're getting a bit of a pasting from our fans in all these reviews recently. To be fair, there is a lot of times where I zone out at what what is being said on this podcast. That's alright, and that's that's your charm. I'm sure that's what our fans are doing as well, just sort of dipping in and out but unless you've been living under a rock and we are your only source of news you will know that the Lions uh, squad was announced today by um, Warren Gatlin and his band of English and Welsh uh, um, thieves Um, and we've got uh, two Scots Stuart Hogg and Tommy Seymour I think you would have said that they are the ones who you might expect to be in there but there'll be a lot of aggrieved boys out there as well and fans judging on how our Twitter has been going for the last few hours. Matt, why don't you start us off and give us your thoughts on the on the Lions squad announcement? Yeah, well leading up there was a lot of sort
2: of bluster and what's turned out to be fake news about the likes of sort of Jamie Roberts going and at one point Keith Earl's going ahead of Tommy Seymour and Donica Ryan being picked. And I'm I'm not gonna lie, I was angry. I was really (laughs) I was genuinely like this is going to be the worst Lions team ever. I didn't have that excitement going in. Um, but then it seemed this morning a lot of that got dispelled. And the squad got announced. And I think on the main, I think it's a pretty strong I think it's the strongest squad as he could have selected pretty much. I think that um be a few people who are aggrieved to, to not have been selected. Um, I think, yeah, from our perspective, the headline to only two Scots I think it's really, really bad. Like, I think that just for the the overall sort of um, attitudes towards the Lions and the overall concept, but then you sort of look into it and you sort of take a step back and it's just such a competitive um, player pool that the guys who could have got in, like Johnny or Richie Gray, forced out by some extremely good second rows. The fact, uh, Joe Launchbury isn't there as well, a sign of that. Um, Hamish Watson potentially over Moriarty, Um, but once again you know, I, I don't think you can feel sort of too too outraged by it. So, overall, I think it is a a pretty good squad. Um, I still don't like Gatlin, though, or the coaching team. But hopefully, you know, they can do a job. Yeah.
0: I think the issue isn't there hasn't been any... There's no sort of, like, real injustices. I don't think there's anything we can be like, how have you left the, him out? It just feels... And I think the English have a sort of a right to feel like this as well is there's a lot of 50-50 calls where he seems to have gone for a Welshman. Whether it be, actually, whether it be like a Lee Halfpenny, Rob Carney, sort of Lundberg missing out, um, Moriarty over both sort of Watson, Haskell, Rob Shaw. It just seems like he, he's he gone for the players that he knows and trusts. And I think we, talk, we talked a bit about how Gatlin sort of seems to have this really big, Influence over a lot of, sort of the decision-making process, and yeah, he's he's obviously gone for the guys that he he's worked with for what nearly sort of 10, 12 years, and thinks they can sort of do the job. It, yeah, I mean it's sort of a t- r- real emotional roller coaster last night. I sort of found the Roberts chat infuriating but quite funny because there's a lot of English people losing their shit over Jonathan Joseph who obviously went in the end and then about 10.30 at night when I saw that Keith Earls was going over Tommy Seymour I generally got into like a hot sweat and I couldn't, I couldn't speak to my girlfriend for a while I was so angry I just kept shouting Earls, bloody Earls but it's fine, it's fine it's the Telegraph, it's fake news Tommy Seymour is going
3: yeah, finally. But I mean should we I don't think either of you guys mentioned him there. Dan Bigger chosen over um over Finn Russell in that uh, in that sort of third choice ten berth. I mean I was we've been a little bit critical of Finn, myself in in particular, with his sort of headless performances against um England and uh and Saarsons. But then I was thinking, you know, over the course of certainly the last season, I think it's very, very difficult to make the case of Dan Bigger being more consistent or uh or a better performer than Finn, and I just feel that that is the one fifty-fifty call where I feel that I think Finn can feel pretty um, can feel pretty hard done by on that.
2: Yeah, I, I can definitely see that, and I think there was quite a lot of chat even during the Six Nations of um, of Rob Howley potentially dropping bigger for for Sam Davies, so his place is very much under threat. Um, to to be fair to bigger, I think you have seen him particularly in in sort of the the so-called bigger games um like the england match for example in six nations he can really turn in big big performances um but i think we were sort of talking about it earlier as well that you've got two tens who are probably pretty similar in the way they run things and then you go to third option obviously and either you take someone who you think can close out games like bigger or someone who's going to go and win you something like russell and i just think that in the context of playing in New Zealand, it's going to be quite rare that we're sort of looking to close out a game, particularly in the... If that's happening in the test matches, then something's gone completely crazy. Um, And I just think that Russell brings you something completely different. Um, But then again, I do see the the argument that, particularly in that that fucking English match, and maybe in the Saracens match as well, when so the chips are down in a big pressure game, he did just lose his head, I think, and, and that sort of lack of what's well, just mental strength that then affects your technical skills and everything um, has probably come into the, the decision.
3: So does this dis- dispel the myth that the Six Nations is really the sort of the warm-up for, um, for the Lions? Because, I mean, Scotland scored 20 unanswered points against Wales. Hamish Watson pretty much single-handedly demolished the Wales back row. Finn played bigger off the park, man of the match performance, kicked 100%. Um, so, I, I don't know, it, it just feels a little bit that you've got 12 Welshmen in the squad, you've got four back rowers, and I, I just think two Scots feels like a poor, a poor return for um, what was a, a really strong Six Nations.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think going to the bigger thing, I think he's been chosen because of that England game, and Finn's been chosen because of the England game has not been chosen and I think um, there is a few people that have been have been picked on past past form and I feel like a lot of what Scotland's players did right doesn't seem to have really been sort of picked up although it kind of depends how long you sort of throw this out I mean you know Wales had a bad tournament but they were about three minutes away from beating England and after the first half against Scotland I thought they were going to pump us yeah. like yeah. genuinely like they could have been away in that game and a couple of things you know a couple of small cha- changes and they probably would have won the six nations because they only just lost to France as well I don't think we sort of go on about Wales coming fifth but it's not like they were sort of destroyed by any team they, they sort of could have, beat,
2: they could have won all their games
3: well they were destroyed by us in the second half at least but I completely agree we weren't really in it in the first half
2: yeah, I agree. I think I think another point is that we've talked about it before. Um, the fact that Scotland didn't have any of the coaches on the any of their coaches, the likes of Gregor Townsend or um, Jason O'Halloran, on the panel. I mean, it it just clearly affected the selection. Some of the 50-50s, I think if they'd been there, we would have got three or four definitely. Um, I, I understand the Townsend one, but I think O'Halloran not going, as we said before, is a real misstep, and we could have got some more players. So from that perspective, it is it is disappointing. And I don't know whether the SRU had a say in that or whether it was completely his own decision, but um, I suppose in that regard, we can't really complain too much. Yeah, two things.
0: I just want to caveat my comments on Wales because I do hate Wales. <laughs> and I, I felt I was being way too nice to them. Uh, the one other one actually is um, Richie Gray, who mm. kind of been thinking about it today. And I do think... I thought he played really, really well, even in that England game. He sort of stood out as definitely by far the best Scotland player. And the Ian Henderson one does kind of bother me a little bit because I don't think Ian Henderson is that good, and he's not going to start at six for the Lions. He is not good enough to start six for the Lions, and I just don't think he's good enough to start a second row. I think Richie Gray can offer you a, like a real sort of dynamic um, ball-carrying option in sort of the second row, which possibly they don't have?
3: Um, I don't know, but all all the stuff that's been said over the last couple of weeks is that Gatlin doesn't really rate Richie Gray based on the 2013 tour. There's been a lot of stuff saying that he thinks he's soft or he doesn't have the right sort of uh, like mentality for it. It's been written, written a wee bit about his personal feelings towards Richie Gray, which I think, yes, you can see that in 2013, but I think particularly um, since he's moved to Toulouse and um, his performances he turned in in the Six Nations, I think he has come on leaps and bounds as a player. So that's, I think, pretty unfair criteria to leave him out. Yeah, definitely. I think this
0: sort of comes... I, I still think you should have a neutral coach. I think it is ridiculous in the, this era that you have so many sort of rugby coaches that you're actually using the Welsh national coach to pick the Lions team. Like, And the fact that you now have, obviously, an over-askew towards Welsh players. There, there's so many sort of older coaches who are now working sort of direct rugby roles who are not coaching anymore like McGeekin did a little bit with sort of the the 09 lines tour who could come in and just do such just do such a good job and sort of hopefully bring together sort of a collective a collection of different coaches from all four of the nations and it just seems a little bit like boys for the job boys for the jobs jobs Uh, jobs, jobs for the boys, especially with that sort of like whales and Lions
3: kind of coaching setup. I suppose you're right, but it's not exactly like Geach really favoured Scotland players in 2009. <laughs> I think what did we get? Two in the in the initial or three?
0: Yeah, well that proves a point. He was a neutral party. He came in and picked the right people.
3: I suppose Scotland were pretty bad in 2009 as well. Yeah, I mean they were literally dog shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think I, I know it's not the same, but. We know that there is going to be five, six, seven injuries upwards on this tour. It's a brutal tour. The standard of the midweek games is going to be much higher than it was in Australia, certainly much higher than it was in South Africa in 2009. You've got to think that those Scotland boys who we've been mentioning, so Finn, Johnny and Richie Gray, Hamish Watson, um, are going to be pretty high up some of those lists for, say, if there's an injury in the second row
2: yeah yeah totally and, and every tour showing that the, the attrition rate is massive and it seems that like in the last two tours there's been quite a few injuries before they've even got on the plane so we'll see what happens there um yeah i think particularly the, the front row is probably where you get sorry the the front five is probably where you get the most injuries so johnny and richie gray i i, I would reckon at least one of those is going to tour um but then once again you do have like launch breeze probably next in line as a replacement um I think if you look at the front row, I, d- I don't know if Nell, if they they take a risk of him with his fitness. Um, Hooker, I wouldn't be surprised if Fraser Brown has some sort of shot, but then once again you've got Dylan Hartley. Um, I think that in the back row, Watson has a pretty good shot of being selected. I think he, would be, he was pretty close. Um, and the backs, it seemed to always have injuries in the back three. So Sean Maitland, who I think could have probably missed out um, quite closely quite narrowly um, has a shot. So I think you'll definitely see a few of the players um, and maybe even Greg Laidloff has an injury there and he proves his, his fitness. I suppose he can play nine and 10 at a push. Um, so I, I hope that more Scots go and I hope that they have an actual impact on, on the tour and on the test team.
3: Yeah, I think um, I think I agree. Um, are we done done on the lines? We've vented on the lines. Uh, Alan, have you got some, some final points you'd like to make?
0: Yeah. Uh, no.
3: Well, then, yeah, that is the final the final word on uh, on the Lions. So, uh, yeah, I do, I do. oh no, he does. Here he goes.
0: I am very much of the ilk that we need to obviously. Everyone's disappointed with the amount of Scotland players, but we just got to get behind it. Yeah. There's a couple of our friends who are sort of giving a bit of chat about not supporting the Lions, and I just think, yeah, we're disappointed. But that just shows how much passion we all have for the Lions. And you know, it, Hogg, you're hoping, is going to be a starter. seema's going to be pushing for that test team. And yeah,
3: let's just get behind it. I completely agree. And I think if you look at the players, which we're talking about, are being aggrieved and missing out. So let's take Hamish Watson, Johnny Gray, and Finn Russell. These guys are all under 25 years of age. And if they are as good as we believe them to be in four years' time, that's them going to be in their absolute prime, looking to go on a Lions tour and push for test starts. So hopefully they'll get a, a shot of being injury replacements, get a flavour for it. But I just think Scotland is and has been a huge part of the Lions throughout its whole history. I think we've had a pretty lean a lean few years, but um, as this Scotland team continues to get better, I think um, we're going to play a big part in the Lions in the future. Um... So let's go from Lions chat to a guy who I don't think ever really got that close. We had a chat with um, Phil Godman, <laughs> Scotland and uh, Edinburgh player. Really, really interesting, particularly on the um, change of coaching setup coming this summer in Edinburgh. So enjoy the interview, guys.
2: Well, guys, glad to say we're joined on the line by former Scotland legend Phil Godman. How are you doing, mate?
4: Yes, good, thank you. Legend's a bit far-fetched, but oh, yeah.
2: No, oh no, not at all. Don't <laughs> <set> yourself short. <laughs> <laughs> um thanks thanks very much for taking the time to speak to us today. Really, really appreciate it. Um obviously news news today, the Lions squad. Um what are you what do you make of that?
4: Yeah, to be honest, I was after the Six Nations, obviously delighted Scotland did so well, but I was concerned that after the England game that we might be struggling and but also I think given the coaches selecting that you always go with who you know and given we had no Scottish influence in the selection I really thought that would count against us. So obviously, Stuart Hogg would be a shoe in um, you know, Probably know, for the Test team as well at present. Mm. Uh, yeah, delighted Tommy Severs. I'm really happy for him as well. I, I thought he'd be in. But after that, I thought we would we would struggle. Uh, the Gray brothers, they'd be fantastic. But again, second row is so strong. You know, laundry missed out. I, I would thought he'd be a shoe for the Test team. laundry you, you missed out today. You know, Hamish Watson, bit of Bolter. You know, again, the back row is really strong. So yeah, obviously having two two in is not great, but I think given how long we've got up to the tour starting, there'll be a lot of the Scottish players there on on standby on the reserve list who'll get called up.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think we had some similar thoughts. The guys that were few sort of unlucky to miss out, but at the same time, it's just it is such a competitive field. And what what did you make of the fact that you know it seems like Townsend O'Halloran were both offered roles, but Turned it down. What was your sort of understanding behind that?
4: Well, Townsend, I completely understand because he's obviously coming to the Scotland job. He wants to take them on tour, uh, or Halloween. I don't know the ins and outs. Um, again, I think you know they they probably wanted to be the the backs coach, the main attacking coach, and I, I don't know what influence he would have had. But it's just a shame, you know, there's not that influence there because it does make a big difference. Because as we've seen with the twelve Welsh players and. You know, they're all quality players but you do you go with who you know best and that that's natural and you know any any coach would say that anyone involved in rugby or, or any other sport would say that as well so that, that's that's human nature um, i think for me the one looking at the squad and the makeup of the squad i probably would say this given my position
1: it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about
4: work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
4: But for me, the one who can feel by most agreed to spend muscle. Uh, just look at the 10s they've picked I would think he would offer something different and yeah if it was for me I would pick him over Dan Bigger certainly
2: yeah I think a lot of Scotland fans would agree with you and probably three of us as well Um, so what what do you reckon about the Lions chances then if you look at that that squad and sort of you mentioned that Hoggy's a a shooting for the test team Think any others I mean obviously Seymour's only but any other guys can push through with with injuries um, to make it into that team
4: I think they were. I think Seymour's got a good chance as well. I mean, they've got a lot of quality wingers, but in terms of Seymour's basic skills, they're fantastic. You know, he's great in the air, which they'll use against New Zealand, you know, he's very strong in defence, which some of the other wingers as good as they are attacking wise, he's very strong defence. So you say, Hoggy did play. He's a nice foil for them and they've got the understanding as well, which, you know, they're bigger on having guys with uh you know understanding, you know, say half backs that play counting against Count it against Finn Russell with Dan bigger and um Dan bigger and in mean, that combination so that, that, that'll count against that'll, so that'll count for uh, Seymour in the back three if Hoggy plays um so he's they, they've both got a, a good being in the testing which would be great to have two Scottish players in the testing so
3: you, you must have had uh, a, a bit of a, a small crossover with uh with Hoggy when you you got called back up into that squ- that squad in about 2012 what did you make of him him as a player then and what he's, t- what he's uh, how he's playing now
4: yeah to be honest he's exactly the same which is great and that would be my advice to any youngster coming through he just came in you know. I, I trained with him a bit before that a couple of years before that and he was yeah he just plays exactly the same as he does he gets the ball it looks like he's enjoying himself and you know he's, he's an incredibly uh, talented player and, and he's obviously worked on his game as well you know defensively he gets you know he, he's had a bit of stick but you know, his attacking game is that good, you've got to have him in and he's got a huge kick on him as well and, you know, looking at his high balls, he's going to get pepper high balls, you know, he's, he's reasonable to yeah. the high ball as well that's a part of his game he's worked on. So, no, it's just good to see someone enjoying themselves on the pitch and the fans see that as well and, you know, he's, he's great to watch when he gets the ball in his hands, you get excited and, you know, it's the same when you know, I saw him back then as well. You just think this guy's got something about him, and it's just great to see how he's come through.
3: Yeah, definitely. What's what's he like when he's in and a, in and around the squad? Is he a good lad?
4: Uh, yeah, no, he is. He's like just as probably comes over. You know, him and Finn Russell. You know, I don't know. I don't know Finn. Uh, he kind of came after my time, but yeah, certainly just enjoying themselves, cheeky chappies, uh, and that comes across in the way they play, which I think people like to see, and you know, obviously benefits their style of play as well.
0: No, definitely. Uh, I guess going back to sort of like Scottish domestic rugby, you know, you spent a lot of time at Edinburgh and sort of now they're going through sort of a pretty tough time. And we've got sort of I just want to hear your thoughts sort of Cockerell coming in, sort of the move to Marside, and kind of what your thoughts are on Edinburgh sort of going forward.
4: <laughs> that give me a long answer to that question. <laughs> Uh, yeah, obviously it's my my former club. You, you want to see see them do well, and you know obviously they, they've gone through a a period where they've struggled. And you know at the same time, it's been great to see a Glasgow arrived, great to see Glasgow do so well, and the job Townsend's done there's to been phenomenal. But yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, my sides, you know, we, we could have moved there years ago. Why they moved there now, I don't know. There's been talk of you know you know a four G pitch. We'll see what happens there, but know we could have done that 15 years ago almost so a bit of a strange move I do think they have to be away from Murrayfield but it has to be the right move as well yeah um, again compared to Glasgow I think Glasgow have, have created the perfect model in terms of winning on the pitch but also they've got right off the pitch as well when I was at Edinburgh we had a bit of success but we didn't get right off the pitch so we didn't kind of you know make the most of that when we finished fourth and second go on the high cup instead of kind of moving forward we do a step back so, yeah, in terms of Cockrell coming in, you know, I, I don't see him being a quick fix at all. You know, it's going to take a bit of time to, yeah you know, get Edinburgh back on track and, you know, Cockrell, I presume, will have two or three years to do that and, you know, I know Duncan Hodge just coming this year, you know, he was never going to turn it around and the time he has and if, if he was to be given a fair crack at the whip, then, you know, it would be interesting to see what he did. You know, any coach who came in, at the time he came in, would have struggled, so... Um, so yeah, I don't think Cockrell, I don't think Edinburgh is going to be top four, top six next year, but going forward, there's no reason why they can't be.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, hopefully you can make improvements, but yeah, it seems like a pretty um, big rebuilding job. Um, so in terms of your, your Edinburgh career, maybe um, if you could just sort of talk a bit about how that started and maybe some of the the career highlights that, that you had there, talking about a bit of the success you had uh, previously.
4: Yeah, well, I started after I left school. I went to move to Newcastle to get involved in Newcastle Academy uh, and then signed pretty quickly for the um, the first team. After that, I spent two years there with Johnny Wilkinson, which is obviously fantastic. Um, training under him, he um, was obviously a fantastic. Ten, and you know, for me as a young stand-off, learning how you I mean, know, what it takes to play at that level, uh, the sacrifice you have to make, yeah, he, he was a fantastic player. In terms of Edinburgh, I moved to Edinburgh, um, it was a 2000, long, time, long time ago now, <laughs> 2002, 2003, and when Frank Hannon was in charge, and I think Duncan Hodges was there at the time, um, and I can't even remember that 10, but no, I, again, that was good for me, learning from an like, experienced 10, and you know, kinda of played odd game off the bench then but quickly kinda of himself as first choice. And yeah, I, I, I love my time at Edinburgh and as I said back then, you know, we were the we were probably the the form team in Scotland and, you know, we were, we were I think we were first K was finished eighth, sixth. But you know quickly we were into kind of top six. And then the last few years, two thousand fourth, nine, fourth, second, and then fourth again. I remember I think Rob Moffat who was coaching my last one of my final years? I think ended up getting, you know, sacked because we finished fifth. You know that that's kind of where we were at. Whereas now, if we finished top six, they'd be Christ, yeah delighted about it. So yeah, things change at clubs, but you know, I, yeah, I had a great time in eight years I had at Edinburgh. Obviously, the way it finished was, you know, after I got injured, I came back and I was playing at a time. When Greg Laidlaw and Mike Blair were there, and when i have been out injured, Greg moved to 10. So when I came back in, I was having to displace one of them. Greg was capped at the time, and obviously Mike was scrum off. So that was always going to be hard. But, you know, I felt that I should have got more game time off the bench, which was frustrating. Um, but that happens, and I've been used to being first choice. So that was difficult, but, you know, that happens in rugby. And, yeah, as I said, I think when end of that season, maybe 2010, 2011, when we made the semi final hunting cup, Michael Bradley got rid of a lot of senior players, myself included. Now, (laughs) I'm not saying Edinburgh, I've gone downhill as I left, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) I am saying that. I think, I think given the guys that left, you look at the list that left, Mike Blair left, Chris Patterson left, you know, guys like Andrew Kelly, who'd, you know, one of the senior players, not a main player, but, you know, he'd been a stalwart of the team, the Alan Stue, McDonald's.
2: Stu legend, Andrew <laughs> Kelly, as well.
4: so Stu legend as well, Andrew yeah, Kelly. He a Stu legend, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> you know, guys like that were, you know, key to the leadership group, and suddenly you had them all just leave, and you had maybe one or two left. And so, yeah, I hate to say it, uh, you know, the good young players, guys like Matt Scott, Dave Denton, who had come through, and they are fantastic players, but... You're thinking, where's the leadership coming from? Mm. Uh, you know, so it was no surprise to see them the next couple of years really struggle, and you know that started, I suppose, where we're at now by bringing in, bringing in guys from outside of Scotland, um, because Michael Bradley's argument was, well, we're not, we didn't do well in the, the whatever it was called back then, Pro 12, because all the Scotland players were away. And, you know, you're bringing in guys who are, you know, journeymen, basically, which is not good for Scottish rugby because it stops young Scottish guys coming through. And we're still kind of, you know, we're still kind of recovering from that, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. hopefully that will.
3: Yeah, uh, that sort of mimics the, uh, m- mimics the sort of words of one of your old colleagues, Marcus De Rolos, saying that um, Duncan Hodge was handed a pretty difficult hand, you know, with um, with Solomon's being given the boot and him coming in and... Uh, being asked to deliver a sort of a turnaround and, and fight for his job. Do you, do you think uh, Hodge has been hard done by?
4: Yeah, well, listen, he's in professional rugby, he knows that as well. And anyone that's results based, you don't get given a, a run of time. But no, in the job he's been given, to judge him, I mean, you'd have to give him a couple of years because it's not really his score. I know he's involved when Solomons was in charge, but you know, Solomons had a way, he wanted to play and was the guy in charge, you know. and and Duncan would have to respect that and, and and play the way he wanted to play. I think we saw Edinburgh at the beginning, you know, Hodges' influence, and they played some really good stuff. But you look at their squad compared to, say, Glasgow. You know, it's it's night and day in terms of quality. And you know, they've got some great young players coming through, but they need them. You know, they need a few a few guys to come in there to you know probably up the quality they've got at present. And yeah, I think you look at some of their games. The last few weeks, and you talk about leadership, and a few guys get injured. You think you who's? Know, I think even last Friday, I watched the game, and uh, the captain four lost four went off. So who's only captain? No one really knew because you know, there's not many of those guys no, in that. The young, your good young players, but you need that mix of good young players and senior players. But no, so listen, Hodgie. I know by speaking to players in, involved in Scotland and Edinburgh, he's very highly regarded in terms of being a coach. So. You know, I'm sure he will um, get his opportunity, but you can't really call what he's had now an opportunity because you know it's <laughs> any coach would struggle with uh, the job he's been given at present.
0: No, definitely. Uh, I get uh, when you so you moved down to London Scottish. How did you uh, find that down in Richmond and and uh, playing in the Championship? Was it two years?
4: Yeah, just uh, I was just a year. A year. Uh, it was obviously after I'd got injured i played one season at edinburgh yeah and uh, yeah i was kind of looking about obviously it, was, it wasn't the best time to looking for a club after you've been out for a year and a half with a knee injury and not played much the year before and i was looking at france but you know if i was going to move to france i probably missed that boat it was probably a year and a half when i was playing regular for scotland and had a few good options so london scottish came in out of the blue and i thought yeah, uh, it's probably not for me. But then the more I thought about it, I thought, I I, I just want to get back playing, and I knew I'd play there regularly. And yeah, no, I loved it. To be honest, it was proper old school. Yeah, it's a good setup down there, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's great. And no, I I loved it there. and they, You know, they gave me an opportunity to go down there. You know, the club was in transition. It was certainly. Going from kind of amateur, semi-professional to full-time professional, but there's some great people, just great rugby people involved in the club, and yeah, it was a proper rugby club, and uh, yeah, I always looked to see how they get on and see how they do. But no, I really enjoyed my time there, and that obviously gave me the platform to go back into uh, playing for Newcastle in the Premiership again. So yeah, no, I really enjoyed it.
2: And how was how was that sort of the transition going from Championship to Premiership? Rugby and how how different was it? I suppose playing for Newcastle compared to obviously the the years that you had at, at Edinburgh.
4: Yeah, well, obviously the standard Premiership. I played there. You know, I went kind of full circle because I played there as nineteen twenty and then came yeah. back at the end of my career. So I was really thankful for that. Because I, I wanted to play and finish at the at the at the top level, and I did that. And I'm I'm thankful for that. But the championship is a fantastic breeding ground for. Young players, and you know that's where you look at the Scottish game. They're, they're crying out for something like that. You look at the of players now. You look at the Lions squad now. The English players, the majority of them would have played in the Championship at some point. Yeah, you know, I remember we're under the Scottish a few years ago. It was Jack Nell was playing? Well, he's not the Lions team, but he's the English winger. Uh, you know, Owen Farrell played a bit for Bedford. You know, all these guys have played in the Championship. Uh, so there's, there's so many good young players, and it's kind of perfect step up to then go into the Premiership. Whereas, unfortunately, in Scotland, if you're playing in the Scottish Premiership, the step up is probably too big mm, to yeah. go straight into to pro rugby. And also, it's very hard for them. Say you're a very talented young player playing for Curry, it's very hard to say, right, we're going to take a punt on you. You're going start in Edinburgh on a night. This yeah. doesn't really happen. Whereas, in the English Championship, you know, they'll get them on the bench. They've got links with clubs, Saracens, Bedford. It's a lot easier to come through. And you know that's a shame, about Scotland, you just think we can't afford to let anyone slip through the net, um, and I'm sure there will be guys slipping through the net.
0: No, definitely at Newcastle. Can I, how hard is it to tackle Sonotti Sunati? Because he is like an absolute freak.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, he is. He's, he is <laughs> not, He's a great lad. He is, Yeah, he's the most chilled out guy ever in oh, really? training. He's he trains about. Uh, 20%, like, I don't think he's ever, ever seen him give over a jog in training, and then come. if you saw him in training, you're like, this guy's useless, and then you get him on the pitch on match day, and he's just a freak, Like he's phenomenal,
1: Yeah.
4: Uh, yeah no, I think any any team in the Premiership would have him, uh, but yeah, during the week, he just laughs and giggles, and just doesn't like, really train, and then just come match day, he's, he's immense, so yeah, he's the week to do it, you want that way, rather than the other way around, so,
3: yeah, yeah. So uh, looking looking back at your Scotland crew, you got 23 caps. Who 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 gave you your first cap, and who was who was that against?
4: It was Frank, my old coach, obviously. Cheers, Frank.
3: Um, Did he coach you at Murky as well? Was that after his time?
4: I did one year, my last year at school. Right, so he's all uh, all makes sense
2: now.
3: (laughs) jobs jobs for
1: the boys.
4: Jobs jobs for the boys, exactly. (laughs) So yeah, he was. Uh, coach of Scotland at the time, and it was Romania, so it was quite a nice first cat. Romania away. One minute, I'll take that. One minute, yeah, not bad. So yeah, and then. And what was think, the
3: uh, what was the Scotland squad initiation uh, at that time in
4: 2005? I think it's the same. As it wasn't too bad. It was basically if any if any player comes up to you and offers you a drink, you have to drink it. So you know, at that time, it'd be 22 players. You have to have as a drink of their choice. So. I can It wasn't that bad, but you know, some guys have been in a spot of bother, um, especially if you have got a home match and you're in the reception after, and you have got someone like Alan Jacobson drinking <laughs> double shots of whiskey. You could be in a bit of trouble. Uh, I remember Jeff Cross being in a spot of bother. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, didn't help. He was concussed, I think, as well. So
3: <laughs> that's a good advert for concussion in rugby. Yeah, no, exactly. That was bad. It was,
4: uh, yeah, that was fine.
3: Um, and sort of th-
2: through through the caps that you had, what what would you count as the, the major sort of highlights and, and memories that really stick out for you?
4: Yeah, probably. I mean, people talk about Six Nations. Six Nations was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. But you ask any Scottish player, unless you're winning games, you know, and then the, the team was not won. Obviously, won the first game this year, which is great. You lose that first game and suddenly you're thinking, oh, God. It's quite, a t- it's quite a tough place to be if you're not winning in the Six Nations, albeit the games are fantastic. So probably highlights-wise, you know, obviously Australia win was great. Um, We've got yeah. Man of the Match at Murrayfield. That was a great win. Uh, but yeah, some of in November, I remember playing South Africa in 2007, which at the time they were world champions and they were the best team in the world. And we yeah. actually... We got beat that game fourteen ten. That was a shocking kick. But you know, <laughs> you would think that wouldn't be a highlight. But I just remember playing that game and thinking we were in max We matched the world champions. Uh, you know, but you would play New Zealand, but we would play their second team. And on that day, we played the world champions and we matched them. And you know, I just remember we're throwing the ball about and having a good time and yeah, things like that you remember. Um, so yeah, so that, that that was that was you know for me thinking. Yeah, that, was, that was a good game good game I think they absolutely smashed England the next week um, again kind of Six Nations you know beat Wales a couple of times but again going to France and running them close just playing some open rugby and just having a real crack and yeah that's, that's what you remember you don't necessarily remember great you know albeit Australia was a great win and really special. you just got to remember just really going for it and enjoying yourself and having a good time. And But I look back, I think, you know, I just I wish I'd done that all the time in every game. And that's what you'd say to any young player, you know, just go out and enjoy yourself because that's when you generally play your best rugby and, you know, get the best out of yourself. No, definitely.
0: How, uh, so what, would you have crossed Haddon and Andy Robinson then?
4: Uh, yes. Yeah, no, I, I, they were both my Scotland coaches. Um how so yeah, did- yeah. Sorry, on you go. I was just saying, is how different
0: were they in terms of, sort of like coaching styles?
4: Yeah, they were different, but you know, they were both quality coaches. I know both of them have had, you know, a bit of stick as every coach does for different reasons. But no, again, you ask, you ask the top players that played under them, and you know, Andy Robinson was a World Cup winning coach with England. You know, you you don't do that unless you're a quality coach. And, you know, Frank. Frank won, he won three games when they first went to Scotland coach and, you know, he was probably guilty of in 2007 when the game was changing and going really defensively, kind of going back on his natural style, which, you know, he probably should have stuck to but, um, you know, his style was to play width, play wide stretch teams um, but after that, you know, they they tightened up and, you know, Scotland had a poor season 2008 um, and when you're not playing good rugby and you're losing, you know at least if you're playing good rugby and you're losing, you're thinking we're having a crack, but a yeah. pretty miserable six nations, uh, five nations even, uh, if I recall, six nations. Uh, so yeah, yes, yes. I think, yeah, I, I think, you know, if you're a Scotland supporter, you know, now I'm definitely a Scottish fan and you, just, you can watch it and just enjoy the games. You just want to see the team have a crack and really go for it. And when they do that, you know, if they win, that's great, but if they lose, you're like, well, at least we had a crack. It's when, you have games like England, you think, that's not great. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> I mean that's, that's one way of putting that England game, yeah, not great.
1: Yeah.
0: As, uh, so, what are you up to now that you, so you're working at uh, Dundee
4: High? Yeah, now I'm at Dundee High, so yeah, I've been there, I came here straight after, I finished playing at Newcastle, uh, so I'm director of rugby here, and um, kind of do the, the elite sport, uh, development, kind of sports development side of things as well, so no, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I think, like many rugby players, my first 10 years of my career did absolutely nothing. Just played rugby. And then, <laughs> uh, when I went to London school, I was, you know, was kind of 28, 29, a good time to go and kind of tried out finance, insurance, all that kind of London stuff. Um, <laughs> and I d- d- didn't really enjoy it and thought, I always thought about, well, I didn't always think I, at that time, I thought, well, i would be coaching. Uh, I didn't fancy being a professional coach. I thought, I need to get away from that. And, you know, so it's like a perfect fit for me being in schools, and so the next two years when we moved to Newcastle, I did all my, my kind of coaching badges, did as much as kind of those two years. My CV's like nothing for ten years and two years of kind of a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, so it looks it like, you kind of you kind of drag it out though. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I'm really enjoying it, and it's just great to work with. I really enjoy working with kind of I suppose the 15 to 18 year old uh, kids because you, you develop so much at that age. And, and make a big difference whereas you know in professional rugby is as I know it's, it's cutthroat and you know um there's not so much development you can do in terms of kind of all-round development you know not just rugby on the pitch but you know all the benefits rugby can give you off the pitch as well
3: yeah fair play so what what have you seen in the in the, is the Scottish schools um is a game healthy I mean obviously you're coming at it from the sort of private side with uh with with Dundee, and you've had that sort of uh, obviously Watsons and Murky have had a lot of success there over the last few years. But would you say that on the whole the SIU are putting in a lot of support for uh, the schools game?
4: Yeah, no, definitely. I think that, you know, obviously in my time playing in Edinburgh, I know the SRU got a lot of stick, but you know certainly what they're doing now is you know it is really impressive, and that you know they're really putting they putting money, they're putting investment you know, time and energy into the kind of grassroots, which you have to do because then the next, the next batch coming through and in, in terms of education, workshops, coaching, you know, all this stuff is so important and, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there, you know, they've got the Hive, they started that and, um, yeah, so it's, it's all, it's all kind of coming together to make sure the next generation uh, come through. Obviously, the schools have started, schools and clubs, conferences started as well, which, you know, has had, kind of mixed feedback but again you have to make you know youth rugby competitive and you, you need that edge and you need those competitive environment uh you know for me coming in it's, it's new to me but I think it's been great um from the school's point of view the high school done D having the conference has been fantastic and you know I know a lot of the schools uh, feel the same and uh, also you're able to manage the kind of player load as well um which you have to do
2: it seems as well that, like in in recent years, the sort of strength and conditioning has become a massive part of it, and it sort of sort of seems overall a bit more um, professional. Do you, do you think that's like necessarily a good thing, and do you think that sort of the balance has been struck between that and the skill side of things?
4: Yeah, it's a good it's a good question because yeah, when I played, I hated weights. <laughs> uh, then you know I, at that age I did nothing. You know when I got into the academy at kind of seventeen, I started to do stuff. But yeah, no. Now the kids are on for kind of fifteen, you know, heavy programs, and you know, the, yeah, I still feel there's a balance to be struck there. But you know, when you look at some of the first team, first fifteen teams now, you know, the, the condition of them's, you know, night and day from what it was in my time, and that, that, that for me, that's definitely the biggest difference. Um, you know, obviously skill wise, they're better as well, but that's definitely the biggest biggest difference. And you know, when you've got a team that's not done that. And a team that has is, is a big, big difference. And you get some sixteen-year-old kids who could play professional rugby, looking at the looking at what they mean doing. Uh, but there's it's a balance to be had. I still think overall they lean too too much towards the weight side of things. And and you know, I think it's not necessarily healthy. If I was that age and had all that, I probably be like, no, nah, it's not for me. And, you know, there's got to be a balance of keeping the enjoyment levels there at only 16, 15, 16 years old. Um, so, yeah, but everyone's doing it. You have to do it. But there's definitely a balance that we had there.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, well, Phil, thanks so much. That it was all super, super interesting. Um, and, yeah, once again, thanks. Thanks so much for your time.
4: No, no worries it was good to chat glad you hear me hear me waffle on but uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> no nah, nah, not at all that's what we try and do in the podcast most of the time so yeah,
4: it's good. you're very fortunate to have me in your podcast and you know, obviously I don't i have just got kind of, after after I retired I deliberately just kind of slipped away so <laughs> <All> right, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah being high demand you might, get about, you might get about one hit on this no so, yeah, <laughs>
2: not at all Um but, yeah. So, yeah great Th- thanks again no, no worries cheers guys cheers
3: well, that was uh, that was really really interesting, um, and I think just to finish off, guys, for um, to reward you for hanging around this long, we are going to have a quiz. But just before we get um, into that, as another little gift to you, why don't we talk to you about Cornerstone? Um, it is the best razor on the market, and if you buy it using our code Thistle at checkout on Cornerstone.co.uk, you can have ten pounds off your first order, and that will get you a premium engraved shaft with your initials and it will get you six of high quality blades. I shaved my face with Cornerstone this morning and um, it's looking great Phil Godman set it offline there. He's using Cornerstone every morning Um, so you guys should really get in there. Get onto cornerstone.co.uk and use code thistle at checkout for £10 off your first order. Now over to you Alan for a little bit of a quiz to finish us off righty Right. Four groups of
0: questions. Three lines related and one I just made up after listening to Phil Goldman because I thought it would be quite interesting. So there we go. Right, easy one to kick off. Really easy one. Four Scotland players went on the 2013 lines. Who are they? You got this. I think two... Was it two in the original party and then two got called up later? I think... Oh, no, three in the original party, one got called up later. That was it. Right, question number two. Four players played one, two, or all the tests in the 1997 lines, four Scottish players. Who are those four players? I can tell you three started the first test, but four Scottish players played across that test se- Started across that test series. Started? Yeah four players. Question. You, you struggle with that, mate. Couple of absolute legends. I've got 3. You got 3. Yeah, so do I. I think you might be there was one that popped up in the third test. I think I've got it. You got it. I've got it. Yeah, all right. Um question number 3. There has been the, the last Scottish Lions captain was 1993. Who was he, and who were the last two before him? See how you do with that one. Wait. The last two Scottish captains. So, including the 1993 captain, who were the last three Scottish Lions captains? And one last question. Uh, Between 2000 and 2010, there were four Scotland coaches. Who were they? Is that pretty easy? Yeah, it's too easy, isn't it? Well, we've done it now, so we move on.
3: Wait, Between 2000
0: and 2010, there was four Scotland national rugby coaches. Who were they? Right. Question number one. The four people who represented the Lions in 2013, who were they? Dave, give me a name.
3: Stuart Hogg.
0: Correct. honey. what you got? Richard Gray? Boom. Sean Maitland yes final one Ryan Grant you got that Ryan Grant right 4 of 4 nice easy start right the second one 97 lines to it, four Scotland
2: starters who were they give me some names right I'll do my four I'm going Tom Smith I'm going Alan Tate i going Gregor
3: Townsend and the fourth one I think is Rob Right. Dave, any change in that? Um, I only had Tom Smith, Day Day, and um, Gregor Townsend. Honey takes
0: four points. Oh. R- yeah. Rob, Rob Wainwright played, um, third, third test. played in the third test at Blindside Flanker. Uh, yeah. Came in for Lawrence Delalio, who moved to eight to cover, like, Rod Burr. Do you remember There was a yeah. guy called Rod Burr. Um, right. So. Last three Scottish Lions captains, who you got? you got. You got to be giving me the 93 one. I'll
3: give you Big Gav all day. <laughs> and then Jim Calder. <laughs> the wrong Calder. The wrong Calder. <laughs> I've given the wrong Calder, haven't I? Yeah. Oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, would you like to give the right Calder?
2: It is Finley Calder. i, I dove the third one. Ah, oh, I'm going to kick myself. I don't know the third one. I don't think you get this. Gordon
0: Brown. N- no. <laughs> the, the MP from Kokodi. <laughs> Post-successful rugby career. Uh, do you mean Gordon Bullock or was actually a guy called Gordon Brown that I don't know of?
2: Yeah, Gordon Brown was a uh, big second row from Troon. Your rugby knowledge is terrible.
0: Uh, yeah, it is. Not as bad as mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike... Campbell Lamerton was the uh, the last Scottish uh, Scottish Lions uh, captain in 1966. So, yeah. There you go. Um I don't know who he went Oh, New Zealand and they l- lost. So there you go. <laughs> um and the final one for Scotland coaches, Dave, you got this.
3: Matt Williams Frank Haddon, Andy Robinson, and I can't remember the fourth one. <laughs> oh, come, on. come on! Between 2000 and
0: 2010?
3: Yeah. Pre-Matt Williams. Pre-Matt Williams. Let him say
2: po- post the Five Nations let him
3: say win. Stupid. Let him say something
0: stupid. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Ian McGeeken. Ian yeah. Yes. Ian McGeekin, 2000. 2000- uh, well, he was earlier. He was before Jim Telfer, and then Jim yeah. Telfer came in, and then Ian McGeechan came back. So, yeah, surprisingly, Hani takes the win.
3: <laughs> so, uh, pretty fairly comfortably. Fairly, fairly comfortable. comfortably. I don't think I should be allowed back after my uh, getting the callers mixed up. To be fair, and yeah. that was uh, that was pretty bad. I think we developed a pattern of you haven't hosted a quiz, Dave. I don't think so. Alan and I need to take each other on because we're clearly the superior beings. I actually think it would be better for me as well because I I've, I really feel that there's some gaps in my knowledge that are being exposed weekly and I don't enjoy that. I don't want to do that because beating you makes me feel a lot better about my <laughs> rugby quizzing ability. Well, listen, we've all got our rules. I think then that's fine. I'm happy to be the guy who who, who gets it all wrong. Um you don't need to rush us no one's still listening into this <laughs> so it's absolutely fine yeah we're into the real dearths the real the real ultras are out there listening and we do we do love you guys but um, we're going to call it a day um, it's been exhausting the lead up to and analysing the Lions squad announcement um, but we will be back in, uh, in the coming weeks um, to chat to you guys um, as always follow us on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod and get yourself onto iTunes please please Give us some reviews, get us up those rankings, um, and we can keep talking about Scottish rugby to more and more people. Um, but for another week, that is The Thistle. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys.
0: Cheerio.
1: Hold up.